Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 11th uh, Youssef uh, Shaheen podcast. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the first part of what has come to be known as an Alexandria trilogy that then became a quartet. Uh, and we'll, we'll be talking about Alexandria Y, uh, but uh, part of the trilogy is also an Egyptian story uh, from 1982 and Alexandria Again and Forever uh, from 1989. And there's a fourth film, Richard, do you remember? No, it's Alexandria, New York is the fourth one, which is, so the fourth one is not on Netflix, but the first three are. So okay, we will excellent. never learn how this and, ends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. we will. Uh, and, and today uh, we have a special guest. Uh, so Andrew Moore uh, from Manchester Metropolitan University, who's written very famously on Powell and Pressburger. But for our podcast, what's most significant is that uh, he was the main reason, I suppose, that many of us were introduced uh, to Youssef Shaheen's cinema uh, last year at Bologna. It was, uh, I think, his raving maybe about this <laughs> film uh, that got us all started. It was, uh, so... it, it was one of those accidental things where you stumble into a cinema and see something, and my, my tiny little brain was blown away by it on a hot Bologna night, and I, I think I coerced many people into chasing some of the other films out. Absolutely. Well, we're all very glad that you did. So let's begin... Let's begin with you, Andrew. I mean, kind of, you know, tell us uh, what 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 you like and value about this film, and then how you see it connecting to the rest of Shaheen's work that you might have seen. So I guess, far. I guess, what really drew me into it is that it's a film that it's just too much. There's too much going on in it, and somehow. I think it still works. It's so sprawling and it conflates so many different cinematic styles together. Um, but it does it in such a gorgeously confident way that, yeah, you could say it's showy and it's flashy um, or maybe it's a bit postmodern before the time, but it's still got moments of real emotional pull in it. Um, I watched it again at the weekend and there's still two or three scenes that I just cried buckets at. Uh, so it's it's just a, a hectic conflation of so many things. But I think that's what we're finding about Shaheen is that he's just this weird mix and he can bring so many different styles together. Yes. Um, what scenes uh, moved you? So then, you know, I can ask Richard and we can all compare. <laughs> I think there's, there's moments of in the middle of all of this mayhem and campness and, and Hollywoodization, there's, there's, there's some moments of quiet solemnity. Um, and one is the, um, the old father um, talking to Ibrahim after he's lost the case. Um, and he puts up a, a kind of stoic a defense of stoicism in the face of things like the holocaust saying you know i can't change things we can have a go and what will be will be and that's just performed so beautifully um and then it's the the scene at the el alamein cemetery just oh, reduces yes, but... me i'm welling up now as i speak um it's so um quietly done in a film that's otherwise so hectic um and also i just i just really really root for the young kid in the movie 
Um, I, I've never wanted anybody to get what he wanted so much ever. <laughs> I was telling uh, Nikki Smith earlier that she should watch this film because it's the story of us in the sense that it's all these failed attempts at show this. <laughs> One failure after another, but the dream goes on. Well, what, what, I, what I love is you, you've obviously got the central character who's Shaheen. His dream is to go to the Pasadena Playhouse, but he's also really, really jealous of his school friend who's gone to the glamorous location of University of Lancaster. The University of Lancaster, which didn't actually exist in 1945, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> and I'm speaking from the town of oh, Lancaster really? at the moment. No, it, 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 it was, it's a 60s university, I think. It is, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Actually. So, maybe it existed in some form, but we'll have to we'll have to research. But but yeah, it's, it was very odd when they suddenly started talking about Lancaster, and then explicitly someone says, "Oh yeah, he's at University of Lancaster in the UK." So that that is what they're talking about. Yeah, yes. lovely think, as um, Lancaster yeah. is. It's... Jose, you, you said earlier on there about asking me about how it relates to some of the other films, um, and mm. I watched The Prodigal Son last week, and. Mm. And it's interesting that, I mean, they're, they're different films in so many ways, and yet in both of them there's the pull of somewhere else. And in The Prodigal Son, which almost might be like a prequel, to a spiritual prequel to this one, I have this idea yes. that you've got, the, you've got the traditional village and you've got the pull of Alexandria and you've got images of donkeys against images of motorbikes as motor transport. Mm. And, and the, the great dream of, of many of the people in the village is to get to Alexandria. And that's, there's an escape that happens at the end um, against a backcloth of, a, of an extremely tragically culminating family melodrama. That's <laughs> yeah, fantastic. But the, the boy gets away. And, and here it's kind of the next stage, I guess, is the, the pull is Hollywood. Um, and, and it's a pull that we we kind of know that it's facile and I, do either of you know what the reputation of the Pasadena um, Institute of Performing Arts actually was I mean I'm, I'm assuming it was okay yeah. but for it to be the for it to be the great target Rada gets dismissed very quickly I think but no <laughs> go to Pasadena not to Rada um, but again you well I think pa the Pasadena Playhouse was where movie stars would often put on plays, right? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Gregory Peck put on plays. Ah, right? thank you. Kirk Douglas. So, you know, that generation of post-war, yeah, uh, war, uh, people who became stars just either at the last end of the war or in the post-war period uh, would, would put on... Uh, uh, plays there would kind of exercise their chops, so to speak, in between movies. So it had definitely a kind of a fan magazine reputation. Yeah, it, it's something that would have been highly publicized because of who performed there. Other than that, I'm not sure, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, you know, it's all, it's it's always been uh, uh, the only school that one ever hears about in relation to American acting is, uh, you know, Strasbourg and the method, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so <laughs> the actor's studio. Uh, that's, that's it, really. Uh, but it, it is, a, it is a, 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 fa a relatively famous place. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the beginning of the film because Andrew mentioned that it is about the pull of the, of the movies. Yeah, the, it's not just the pull 
was the pull of Hollywood movies, yeah, uh, in general and particularly the musicals. Mm. And this is a theme that is very well known to us. I mean, we see it all over European cinema, right, from Cinema Paradiso to Bellissima to uh, 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 um, um, The Bicycle Thief, yeah, it's like, you know, very like uh, the there was various Truffaut films as well. Mm -hmm. Various Truffaut films. Yeah. I mean, Hollywood uh, exercised a pull. I, and actually, it's, it's very beautifully captured in uh, what is that uh, um, that famous um, Puig novel uh, that William Hurt and Raoul. Oh, Lewis Kiss, Kiss of the Spider Kiss Woman. Kiss of the Spider yeah. Woman. Yeah. You know, that, that lure mm. of Hollywood and glamour and um, sex and richness. One thing I loved about yeah. the start of the film is you, at the end of the opening credits, you see the, the central character who's based on Shaheen for the first time and he's in a cinema and half of the screen is um, a still from, I think it's from an American in Paris. Yeah. And he kind of walks up behind it and you just see his face and the still from an American in Paris and the caption just says, Director Yusuf Shaheen. We need a GIF of that. It's really well done. Yeah, really yes. well done. so clearly. Yeah. yeah, look at me. It's I very it's sort of. <laughs> I did notice that, and then you they walk into the cinema, and you have the number, yeah, from yeah. the Nelly yeah. film kind of yeah. being played out. Uh, you know, which is which is marvelous. I think. Actually, yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, to have an Egyptian film that begins like that with Esther Williams in Bathing Beauty and then an American in Paris and then an Eleanor Powell musical number with Tang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that, was, the, that yeah. was one of the interesting things about it was just seeing that perspective of a city in Egypt during World War II. You don't really mm, see, yeah. you see a little bit of battle, but you, the the war is kind of off stage most of the time, and it, it and it's just what impact, and, it, and it's kind of day to day. They're like, oh, you know, um, doesn't have an impact really. It's, it's well, no, it do, it does have an impact, but I think the impact, I mean, the family selling its furniture. And, well, that's true, that's true. Know, but I found a very a very good summary of the film um, was in, uh, it was from Video Hound, which is one of those like you know, books of thousands and thousands of films. And they actually summarize it in one paragraph. And unlike the summaries of some of these films, they do it really well. Uh, they, the way they describe it is school schoolboy, brackets, director Shaheen, uses his adolescent recollections, tries to ignore the war in Alexandria by escaping into the movies and his dreams of becoming a star. He also witnesses two love affairs, one between a Muslim man and a Jewish woman, and the second between an Arab nationalist and an English sol soldier. Which actually... That's a really good that one. Is pretty, that is pretty good. It's pretty good. And that's, a, that's the kind of summary of a film. If I read that summary of a film, I'd think, hey, that sounds really good. I want to watch that. Unlike some of the... I, I take issue with that, though, because the show that he puts <laughs> on at the school, the school production, the school play. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, he's not escaping from the war. Everything... I mean, there's, there's rage in that production. And actually, mm. I think that is, if, if there's a masterly piece of filmmaking, it's the staging of that school production. Because to me, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's there within the, the, the school. But then we see that the boundaries of the school completely get broken down where uh, real mm. archive footage begins to intervene. But then you see some exterior footage and then the kids in the school play are at the Battle of El Alamein. Yeah, that, and it that just, was That, that was kind of yeah. doesn't, it can't work. And it's like all these yeah. theatrical flats just kind of collapsing into each other. Um, and it's just, it's just occurred to me, I wonder if Wes Anderson is familiar with this film. When you think about something like... Um, what was the one where they do noise flood? Moonrise Kingdom? 
kingdom. Um, don't know. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. I can see. I can see um, the similar. I mean, other similarities that it has is obviously you know things like Fellini's Amacor mm -hmm. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it it is very much autobiographical. It works in many ways as a kind of memory. It's very excessive. It has very expressionist moments, right? You know, that last scene of the Statue of Liberty come to life, oh, yeah. ruthless, yeah. you know. Uh, I mean, that is like, you know, e extremely out there, yeah? Mm. Uh, and, he's, and he's not afraid to take risks like that. I mean, I think it's an astonishing film, yeah. really. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it moved me deeply. And, and one of the things that I've been finding is that it's so interesting to see British colonialism from the other side. You know, mm -hmm. One sees that you know, throughout uh, Shaheen cinema, and it's done with wit and humor and with a kind of an acceptance and a kind of a lack of anger or bitterness, right? It, mm. you know, that's just the way that it was. You know, they're trying to kill Churchill in this film, right? You know, they're hoping the Germans win to get, you know, the British colonials out. And that's, a, that's and an interesting hand, aspect, isn't it? The fact that the, you know, some of the Egyptians are, they're not pro-Nazi, they're just anti-British. And the, yes. so it's, a, it's an interesting dilemma. Yes. Uh, uh, I mean, well, I mean, the thing is that the film is so um, generous-hearted and wise because on the one hand, you know, you have some characters saying, I hope the Germans win. Mm. You know, on the other hand, you have this kind of Egyptian brutality where they actually buy a man, you know, to kill for political reasons, but really it's for fun. Mm. And then they end up, you know, uh, falling in love <laughs> and the British character teaches, you know, the uh, 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 Egyptian one a lesson in kind of being human and kindness, right? Yeah. So, so that's actually quite a kind of you know, a, a complex turning around of, you know, traditional expectations of what you would expect. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of, I, I, I think, sorry, um, I just think in some of the earlier films that Sheen's politics are so writ large. I was thinking that he's a, he is this kind of bizarre mix of Ken Loach and Vincent Minnelli in the same person. It's kind of, you've got you've got this kind of eroticized, beautiful, sensual melodrama, and then you've got the the explicitly stated socialist communist um, politics. It kind of even if it's even if it's an incidental subplot, the people on the dock will be going on strike because they want to pay getting paid overtime. Mm. There's there's something about workers' relations going on all the time. And yet that's not that's not so much there in this one. And there is there's, there's one kind of line that it's um, it's the it's Johnny, the young English soldier, when he says he's he's been referred to as a Brit, and he says, "I don't care what I'm called. I only care to care." And I thought this is it's just, it's <coughs> soft and sentimental, but coming from him, it just kind of works because it's mm. it's it just says some, something about an international humanism going on in Shaheen's work, which possibly comes out of his communist politics. Um, Very much so, but actually, there's a tradition of that in the rest of his cinema because he was a great supporter of Nasser's pan-European project. Yeah, of course. Yeah, against. Sadat's more narrow nationalism, <laughs> right? You know, so so this kind of uh, discourse fits into a broader pattern. Though I must say, he takes it more broadly than you would expect. Yeah. So you know, the film ostensibly was very badly reviewed in 
Arab countries. And part of the reason why it was badly reviewed is because of the sympathy towards the Jewish characters in the film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here's like this such an interesting film that on the one hand, you know, has this queer element. It has actually the sympathy to British individuals while being anti-British colonialism. Yeah. And it also has the sympathy to Jewish characters in spite of being anti-Israel uh, 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 nationalism. Yeah. Mm. So it's kind of, and all the while with singing and dancing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you read that? Did you read that contemporary review, review from the New York Times, who really hated yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It and yeah. it was such a snooty review. And what it, it really struck me as being so arrogant because it, was, it, it says, uh, what's it say? Uh, ba it's very troubled by the, the Jewish storyline, isn't it? By Sarah It is, and, and I think that I yeah. think that's possibly what turned them against the yeah. film but yes. uh, it's a commonplace mess that attempts to fuse. Uh, Mr. Shaheen doesn't have the talent or the discipline to fuse cliches into anything except a daisy chain of peculiar events but I think there's an implication here that he's throwing all this stuff at the film and the American reviewer is thinking well because this guy's Egyptian he obviously doesn't know what he's doing whereas if it was mm. Kubrick or something they'd think he was a genius mm. um, yes. because yeah. it, it's just his assumption oh this is a primitive filmmaker but it's not it's a very sophisticated filmmaker who knows exactly what he's doing yeah I thought there's, a, there's a, a criticism in that review as well about that the Jewish storyline okay. mm. it, it reads it as a fault that Sarah and her father go to South Africa and then return and she returns then to Egypt so she's yeah. allowed to be a, a good Jewish character because she's not going to Israel. And so there's an, she can distance herself from Zionist nationalism. And the reviewer, I think, is quite troubled by that, where I think, I suspect that from Shaheen's point of view, nationalistic Zionism is a, is a, a stepping down from the high ideals of Judaism. So it's... it's mm. oh, with, without a doubt. And I mean, I think uh, uh, Shaheen's position in Egyptian culture is very interesting in that regard because of course he's not a Muslim mm -hmm. he's a Christian right mm. and you know a Christian from Alexandria which has always been a place you know which has accepted yeah it was like a kind of a hodgepodge of people with different religions and from different places it's a yeah it's a port city that people migrated to so this idea and I think particularly as personified by Sarah's father yeah my family has lived in Alexandria mm -hmm. for generations, mm. right? It's like, you know, so he's going, he ends up in uh, Israel, but actually he can't support those actions. And so this idea of being defined by your religion, yeah, and also kind of, you know, that defining, uh, you know, being killed in an oven or being forced, you know, to emigrate to South Africa or being forced, you know, to find... Uh, uh, refuge in the state of Israel is seen as an, an, an incredible sadness in the film. Yeah. Mm. Because there's also those Jewish characters on the boat in, the, in almost the very last shot where we, we, we're hearing the Glenn Miller triumphal music as, as the young, young guys seeing Statue of Liberty for the first time and then he hears this kind of rabbinical singing coming from the other side of the mm. boat and we know that for him America is showbiz and joy and aspiration, but actually the camera looks down on some Jewish exiles in the mid 1940s who look mm. look as worn out and tattered as you'd expect them to be. And there's a really sympathetic yeah. shot. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, 
I, I read it differently ah. <laughs> because, you know, I read it's, it's an Ashkenazi Jews, so it's underlining it. And actually, I thought I, I laughed, right? I thought ah. it was a slight, I don't know if it was a poking <laughs> fun at it or whether I just found it funny because the wigs and the beards were so <laughs> obviously bad, right? <laughs> But I think that whole scene, I mean, you know, the Statue of Liberty looks, it's all not supposed to look realistic. It's its very broad. I, I, I wasn't quite yeah. sure what the intent of that was. To be it's honest. all, isn't it? The yeah. kind of the, the toothless, gaudy, drag queen looking uh, <laughs> Statue of Liberty. It can, and I guess it's going to say, oh, right, yeah, none of us are taken in by the virtues of the American dream. We all know that it's actually um, toothless. But a little bit of it reminded me, do you know, in, in Prodigal Son, it starts and ends with that clown figure. And you've got, and, mm. um, and at the end, there's a clown and the little boy. And we've seen this horrendous yes. family shootout. And then this quirky music comes on, which I take yeah. to be Shaheen's point of view, as if he's this sort of writing himself into a kind of mocking tradition of comedy, which just sees mm. all human life as flawed and all human life as catastrophic but we have to muddle on somehow um and there's a kind of like a humility and an irony to it and so i wondered if this is again just kind of just making sure we're not taken in by the 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 platitudes of the american dream it kind of hits us over <laughs> the head with it <laughs> another thing i really liked that the new york times reviewer didn't like is the way he uses documentary footage um, yeah. and cuts that, cuts that into the film. The New York Times guy says it, it doesn't add any credibility or words to that effect. But there's that brilliant, brilliant if slightly tasteless sequence where there's a documentary documentary footage of a, of a car driving along the road and one of the characters throws a Molotov cocktail... One of the characters in the film throws a Molotov, yeah. Molotov cocktail out of the window, which then hits the car in the documentary footage. Uh, and that, that, I thought that was just really audacious... Um, I, I loved all of that. Yeah. I loved the footage of Churchill. Uh, I love the intermingling of, you know, all the scenes of the, you know, the bombing of Dresden. Uh, um, it, it's kind of inscribing this um, fictional film, you know, but that's also a real personal memory mm. uh, into history, right? Yeah. And it, so it combines on the one hand, you know, the musical numbers, the stage and the theatricality, you know, but also documentary footage of the period. And of course, we've we've um, seen him in a cinema watching newsreel footage like that. So that that's yeah. a, that's a, yeah. that's a really good point that it's sort of it's it's filtered through nineteen seventies Shaheen's memories of his teenage mm. years because that's how he remembers it. Who remembers read, it as newsreel footage? Yes. Well, I read that he had a heart attack in London, and that he had to have open heart surgery. And that he then thought, well, you know, what is my life about? You know, it's, it tends to happen and these things. And have I done, you know, what I can with my life? And he, and he said that that was the decision to really kind of change to a more personal mm. filmmaking. Because yeah. I think that's, that's the premise of the third of these films, or is, is that it's, and it sounds a bit like uh, the Bob Fosse, All That Jazz, where he's, yeah. all that jazz. Where he's, he's basically having open heart surgery he and movie. flashing back during the open heart surgery in the movie yeah so and and played by himself i i think in that by that point yeah um so yeah but i guess it's it's not too surprising that the reviewer in when it came out and that was it new york times wherever it was yeah you mentioned yeah. didn't like the the, the what he says that he casually lifts some archive footage 
Um, yeah. I guess it, I mean in some ways we're used to these kind of postmodern texts now, and we've you know we've seen things like Zelig. You know, we're kind of mm. we're more comfortable with the idea that films can clash different sorts of discourse together, and and, yeah. and that new meanings will come out of it. Uh, so I'm not you know I'm, it doesn't surprise me that it might have seemed a bit unregulated in the 70s yeah. And yeah. I, but I th- I'd say I, th- I think there's an there, there is an issue of the being an because the being an assumption that this guy is just chucking things together because he doesn't know what he's doing because he's Egyptian rather I think you're than right, he yeah. does know what he's doing because he's a great director well let's let's not give too much credence to the New York Times uh, you know a as you <laughs> said um, uh, the, the review is very troubled by the film's depiction mm. of uh, what was happening in Israel, which I think is kind of very um, uh, generous or open-hearted or yeah, or open, yeah, for an Arab film. Uh, but also, you know, I, 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 the film A was uh, completely rejected by Arab countries, mm. right? Partly on the basis of the Jewish representation as well. They thought it was too generous. And partly also on the basis of the queer characterization. Mm. Yeah, because right? no, that's so, interesting because this is the first time it's been, we've seen it being absolutely 100% explicit that that's what's going on. Not yes. not the, like in, De- in People of the Nile where there's an obvious interpretation, but it's not yeah. 100% clear that's the intention. Uh, whereas the, this, it, it, that, that, that is the plot. These two yeah. characters are in love. Yeah, from the ones that the Shaheen films I've been watching over the last few weeks... I guess I can. You can look at those, the kind of the torta fifties melodramas, and you you can look at exactly how ripped Omar Sharif's shirt is in um, what Blazing Suns is it? Um, and you, there's there's a clear homoerotic feel to them. But yeah, it is. It's just so it's, it's, all it's, of it's, them. <laughs> it, it is more. Ex, it is explicit here, um, in a way that I think is really quite. I mean, in some ways, it should it should trouble me that um, Abed Bey has kidnapped this young guy because he wants to kill him for political reasons, and yet we know that it's actually for pleasure. And and effect, effectively, what Abed Bey is, he's 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 that stereotype of an aristocratic, sadistic gay man. He's he's a perverse psychopath. So he's he, and yet. We don't see enough of him to kind of really hate him, yeah, and he softens immediately because he, well, he looks at Johnny and he's in love immediately. So it's. I, I was so I wasn't clear whether the previous because he talks about having killed before, whether previously I think he'd just kidnapped a soldier and killed him. Yeah. Whereas this time, because he he takes I think, I think it might be Tommy or Johnny take, takes him home. Tommy yes, and, so. Tom, and, and takes him home and puts him to bed, and uh, then. Uh, falls in love basically it's, it's the way things unfolded because he was so drunk yeah yeah and vulnerable that yeah he brought him and innocent yeah he had no clue what was happening so he brought him home yeah, yeah. so I think that was that was the change though you have a very clear indication that he's done this before yeah uh, and the film is very sympathetic towards him so actually Andrew when you're saying yes he does fit into that pattern of the aristocratic you know, uh, uh, deviant, uh, but also the film is kind of with him. Yeah, mm. I think you're meant to see him sympathetically. Actually, you're yeah, not meant to be repulsed by what. Yeah. Well, no, because uh, well, I, I guess the journey that we see is towards a greater humanity, 
And then, it, uh, and then even even his I mean his last the, the scene where he's <laughs> bidding farewell to Tommy I correctly name him this time. Um, there's I mean twice Tommy looks back at the car. He go, uh, he comes back, but then he walks away a second time. He looks back, and there's this huge unspoken romance going on there. Mm. Um, and that, I think that's the time where um, around about the time where Tommy says I don't I don't care what I, what I'm called. I only care to care. And Abed says, um, and I care to call you your divinely vulgar, but he smiles. Yes. And that's such, yeah. a, no, such a Noel Coward, Oscar Wilde kind of catty line. And I, I love it. And, and, divinely and I bet that's a line. vulgar. You're both going to be using that line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the nearest opportunity. It's but the, perfect the other, rough trade. That's what he is. The, <laughs> the, but the, the interesting thing about that casting of, of, of the British soldier, and this is a bit, a bit of a diversion, is, is he's played by a guy called Jerry Sundquist, uh, who, when I saw the name pop up in the opening titles, I was like, what, Jerry Sundquist? Yeah. It was so, in, so um, out of place, because basically, I mean, this, and this is a sad story, so Jerry Sundquist was um, uh, a British actor, he was a bit of a teen heartthrob back in the 1970s, uh, he was in a couple of um, children's dramas, and just to prove it, there's there's one of them holding up the Siege of Golden <laughs> Hill. Oh my uh, God! Can, can can Billy save his granddad from eviction? Hard hitting teenage drama from the 1970s. I own this DVD, and there's another one called, <laughs> called Soldier and Me. I'll send I'll send you a link to some clips. And he was very good, and um, and yeah, to be honest, if you big up Jerry Sundquist on on the blog for this, you get a lot more viewers because he still has a big fan base. So he so he made he made these TV series. He then. It seemed really odd that he turns up in this film. And I, I mean, I think he's re really good in it, actually. It's a very good performance. I looked at it on IMDb. He made a few kind of international films at this point, sort of small productions, probably of the same scale as this one. Um, came back to the UK, had a pretty successful TV career. Uh, he was in uh, the lead in a production of Great Expectations right. in the early 80s. Was he, yeah. was he in The Bill? He in... Did I read that he was in The Bill? Well, uh, they, well this is the thing. Oh, sorry. It's the sad I'm, thing. I'm, right? I'll, come, uh, I'll, come, sorry. I'll come to this. So, he, so that's fine. So he did um, yeah, so he did Great Expectations. He was one of the main characters in a show called The Malins, which was a massive ITV series. Oh, I remember that. Series. Yeah, yeah. Captain Kipson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And did various other things. But then went very off the rails. I don't know what happened, but drug heroin was involved. Um, he disappeared off the radar. He didn't work for eight years. And his first role for eight years was uh, a role in, in The Bill, it was a UK police show. And there's a clip of that online, which I'll send you a link to as well. He was only about 36, 37, and he just looked awful. Um, and then the following year, he, he committed suicide. Uh, so it's. Yeah, it's 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 a real shame because when you see when you see him in this film and you see him in other roles, he's really he's really good, and uh, mm. you just have to wonder what went what went wrong. But uh, mm. but yeah. Let, let me ask you both a question because you know this is now our tenth uh, Shaheen film, uh, and we've begun to see patterns, right? So mm. previously we we've, we've really seen the influence of Cirque, uh in the way that he frames in his compositions and. You know his use of screens and so on, and actually I thought it was significant that uh, you know he's now citing Minnelli in this film, right? Mm. So you know, and uh, so so this kind of 1950s melodrama, yeah, combined with with musicals, yeah, and this film is in a way like uh, uh, a Prodigal Son, a kind of a musical melodrama mm. mashup, right? Yeah. So I mean, do you have any views on? 
on this film in relation to that 1950s melodramas or musicals? I mean, whether he's whether it's just because he's working on a bigger budget because he has a reputation now that there are some films which to me just seemed surprisingly big like when i saw saladin it was it looked like his career had made as great a transition as early david lean to late david lean he'd gone on to an epic canvas he'd gone into widescreen he'd gone into color and he had this colossal historical sweep going on there um here there's such a mashup going on that there is still the family melodrama at the core of it i mean we kind of almost forget that there's a tragedy at the center of the young boy's family here that there was an elder brother who died and he feels guilty because he's always felt he's the one who should have died so right at the corner of it there is a the kernel of it rather there is a family melodrama um i think he's i mean is he just pulling in influences from left right and center there's i mean in saladin there's bits of the editing kind of reminded me of um of later eisenstein and things like that um mm. th yes i can see that, that he's, not, he's not he's not tr contained by anything it is it is interesting and it, as with prodigal son that it's a draw it goes in all these different directions and he draws in all these different film styles in order to to make his point and as i said with, with prodigal son there's points where it feels like he's making a film about cinema and about the way things are portrayed and about the way mm -hmm. kissing is portrayed on cinema yeah. and that kind of thing. And the bit in Prodigal Son where it suddenly goes into sepia and it looks like a scene from Dark Water and you feel like he's showing, he's kind of parodying his earlier style. And I think the same is going on here that he's, he's, I mean, this is set, this is like 42, so for, this is like... 42 to 47. Yeah. So and that's only five years before he made uh, the the Blazing Sun. Of course, yeah. So, yeah. Um, that so that that's interesting. Because there is there's a, there is another way of kind of trying to pull everything together. And I kind of I, I'm a little reluctant to do it because it sounds like you're reducing everything to Shaheen's own personality, by which I'm kind of saying sexuality. But there's an awful lot in the format in the mold of classical melodrama which is, has been read by so many people as the, 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 the repression, the, um, the sense of claustrophobia that you get in the melodrama is often read as, as a, a metaphor for the closet. The, the high stylization is, a, is a, a kind of camp performativity in the melodrama. Um, and then when you get the more kind of free-flowing homosexual film director, it's a musical because there it's mm. it's hyper flamboyant and it's it expresses all of the things in a fantasy format that that can't be expressed mm. if if your sexuality is is occluded mm. or repressed. So it it kind of does pull all of those things together. I mean, I don't I don't think all of the weirdnesses in Alexandria now can be a product of Shaheen's sexuality, but it is quite it is quite a gay film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of them can actually. I was thinking, you know, of uh, Jeffrey Noel Smith's notion of convergence uh, hysteria, where Conversion. you know, the yeah. things that ca that are repressed manifest themselves in the body, and you can definitely see that in the film because actually the narrative itself is almost a closet narrative. Yeah, it's about an odd kid 
yeah, who wants kind of to go his life to go in a different direction mm -hmm. than what is normal and expected, mm. right? And it's a, it's about his struggles to be himself against the family clamping down on him and society. Yeah, so actually, it does have those very traditional. I mean, you know, melodramas are about you know kind of uh, 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 individual desires that are mm -hmm. re repressed yeah. or clamped down or prohibited. Yeah. You know, by and if social we norms, yeah. and there is all of yeah. that. I guess if we wanted to kind of unpack young Yehia's sexuality as well, I mean, yeah, all right, you could say yes, it is clear fondness for Hollywood musicals. It's obsession with Eleanor Powell. There's that kind of way of reading it. But I was again, you, when, when you've got a melodrama hat on, you start thinking about Freud and Freud's ideas about the family. And like Hamlet is the play that he keeps going back to, and Hamlet mm. is the family Good. melodrama par excellence, um, and and it contains a I... mother fixating young boy with a father who he doesn't quite yeah. hasn't quite got the measure of, and here the father's a mm. sympathetic figure, but he's also he's initially seems to be a weak figure, and there's that beautiful moment where he's a farewell between the mother. Young here at the end, so he's so there. You know, he hasn't successfully utilized. He's still mother fixating. And once I started looking out for this, I was seeing it left, right, and center. They're kind of all over the place. Can I pick? Can I pick up on on an element of that for a moment? Because right from the beginning, I think it was the second or first film even that we saw. I think Richard picked up on references to Othello. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Richard. Yeah. So so actually, you know, Shakespeare is a running thread throughout yes. his work. You know, there's always a quotation or a plot or, you know, like I thought the massacre in uh, uh, um, uh, Prodigal Son, uh, uh, Prodigal Son was a was a bit like Titus Andronicus, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in this one, it's Hamlet. You know, I, I, there was Othello. And also, I mean, the Sara Ibrahim story is effectively Romeo and Juliet. It's it's, it's for, forbidden love yeah, on exactly. the other side of the of a boundary that can't be. Yeah, yeah. And that was the case also with Prodigal Son, the young the young mm -hmm. lovers, mm. right? You know, the, uh, yeah, kind of across the class divide that you know seems to make it impossible. So so Shakespeare seems to be a running thread. Yeah, yeah. I think we can agree. Yeah. And that already begins to be such an interesting melange, you know, Cirque, Minnelli, yeah, Fellini, Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> and the other note that I made to myself was to ask you about the music, because I just loved it. Yeah. Oh, the I, bit. I, th I thought it was great. When Perfidia comes the on at the start, I mean, it, you, you've got a voiceover talking about this, the, the dust cloud coming from the Sahara. Then you go to archive footage of the Nuremberg rally and a bit of Rommel and Adolf Hitler saying that he wants Alexandria. And then you cut to la di da 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 Yeah. Which is a popular, t a popular tune lovely. at the time. But it, it's, it's, it's the most ersatz sophistication you can get in popular music. It's, it's almost bland music, but it's gorgeous yeah. and seductive. And, and you can't I mean, hear it I without smiling in this film. Yeah, and I love the use of things. Like, I mean, he uses Vera Lynn. We get White Lips of Dover because, yeah. of course, Tom, of course, Tom, Tommy comes from Dover. Where else would he come from? Yeah. Right? Um, and yeah. and you get Glenn Miller. And again, it's like the it, it's the, the kind of thing. And this is why I made the Kubrick comparison earlier. That you know, if a director uses has a dramatic scene and then starts playing Vera Lynn over it, 
if it's Stanley Kubrick, it's because he's a genius. If it's Yusuf Shaheen, <laughs> it's because he's because he's an yeah. Egyptian director who doesn't know what he's doing, and that's nonsense, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's sort of he, yeah. he's very. I, I'm sure he knows that these these tunes are cliches. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. So. But I think well, I mean he is he's aiming for a mainstream I, popular movie here, so he's filling oh, it with popular absolutely. tunes. Well, but some the so use is so thing. peculiar though. Like there's at the end of the um, the, the court case where Ibrahim was sentenced to fifteen years hard labour, um, and and the father who's been defending him, we kind of knew, even he knew he didn't stand a chance of winning this case, and instead of having yeah. a moment of grief or reflection, as soon as the um, the sentence is revealed. We get da ba da 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 And you go into in the mood. And what what's going on there? I mean, is it is it just all right? I mean, yeah, in the grand scheme of the historical sweep of the human race, this is one little moment in one courtroom in Alexandria. Or is it oh popular entertainment has got nothing to do with real tragedy. It's all of these things. It just sends off so many little thoughts. Well, I, w- I want to I want to take a little bit issue with you know this notion of like cliche, uh, you know, the, or the music being cliched or used being used in a cliched manner, because one of the things that I was thinking of actually is you know what a what a what a man of sophisticated and cosmopolitan taste Shaheen mm-hmm. is, right? Because you know he's using. British pop music of the period and American pop music of the period and Latin yeah. pop music of the period and French pop music of the period. Yeah, like, you know, there's a, f- a full range of of kind of musical uh, themes on display that come from various countries, right? Including Egyptian music. Yeah. Whereas actually, it, it, I would be very hard pressed to think of a British example <laughs> that used Egyptian music <laughs> and, you know, American. That's yeah, very like, true. Uh, so... So I think kind of, you know, looked at from the perspective that this is an Egyptian film, yeah, in Arab, mm. yeah, and that is then using, like, you know, this incredible range of 1940s pop music from different continents and different countries. I thought it was Because I wonder to what extent a mainstream Egyptian audience, if they saw this film at the time and heard Vera Lynn or Glenn Miller, would, would that... Would those tunes mean anything? I mean, they would sound like forties tunes, but would they recognise them? I, I just, I don't, I don't know if those songs were popular overseas. Well, I think one can guess fairly well. I mean, you know, Egypt was under British occupation, yeah. so they would have. That's true. I suppose that's true. Well, what really struck me was the, the shots of the shots of the school where the boys. It, it's it's like an, it looks like an English public school. You know, the boys are coming out playing with cricket whites <laughs> and cricket bats and so on. The other thing that struck me in terms of comparisons with other films. This was nineteen seventy nine. And when the, when it started off, and there's the scene of the four boys coming out of school saying, "Let's go, let's go to, the, let's go to," the, and they've clearly got this schedule. Let's go to the beach. We'll spend five to seven picking up a girl, <laughs> and, then we'll, and then we'll go home for our tea. You know, that's their plan for the evening. But the the previous year, um, Lemon Popsicle came out in Israel. Uh, sort of group of teenage boys growing up in the 50s yes. in Israel with um, and it's not a similar film at all but if you're going for a mass market film which I guess he was it's it's an in- intriguing uh, coincidence mm, yeah. I think and actually now that you mention it the boys go pick up a prostitute mm. except he's the only one that oh no yeah with yeah right? yeah he wants, he wants a bit more Eleanor Powell. That's what he's after. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I've yeah, forgotten yeah. about. Um, so, 
so we have uh, another 15 minutes or so before Andrew has to leave. So uh, let me just kind of focus on you for a while, Andrew, and kind of, you know, what other things did you pick up on the film, kind of, what made an impression? Well, 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 well there's one thing that it just really endears me to Shaheen, or Shaheen to me. I like him. And it's, there's a sense of his own humility. Like in Cairo Station, there he is, cast. That's the most I've seen him performing in, in his films. And he's cast as this as this crippled, outcast, slightly jokey figure, but then obviously things take a much darker turn. Um, but, you know, it's not an ego boost playing that role. Um, and then we see him kind of embodied as these clown figures in Prodigal Son. And, and here he is, the young boy. And he has his school show, which he, is great. He also makes a cameo. He does, yes, of course, yes, yes. Um, yeah. But then he, he goes and gets the money from the princess to have a big, big theatre show of it. And it's an absolute balls up. Yes. It goes on, it's hideous. Everything, nothing about it goes right. And and, it, and this is the moment where he, he, he has a kind of, a scene that looks a bit like Pedro Almodelva, where it goes all technicolor and hysterical <laughs> and he blacks out oh god yeah and we go to yeah. the flashback about his dead brother um but just you know it's not a hey kids put on a show film because the show that he puts on turns out to be an absolute catastrophe and later on when he's wa really really wanting to go to college and somebody mentions the fact that you know the show was rubbish and his he says something like um yeah, that's because I don't know what I don't know. I need to go and find out what went wrong. Mm. Uh, and I just yes. thought that's so... Yes. It's, I mean, it's a very kind of wise take on education. Um, that, yeah. you know, you, what, you learn things because you is, don't know them. You don't learn things because you're clever. Yeah. What went wrong is that they did that thing that they always do in films about putting on a play where they don't have any rehearsals or previews. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, true. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so I love... I thought that was, I thought that was an important comment, because, uh, yeah, the 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 only having had the theater for fifteen minutes before the show, <laughs> kind of also indicates that he's aware that he doesn't know what he doesn't know, but also that he's got extraordinary self confidence yeah. that you know that yeah he's not blaming himself entirely for you know the fact that the show was a failure yeah. that there were conditions that kind of yeah. made it yeah. so yeah and yeah. and again just I, I guess some of that my fondness for Shaheen it kind of coupled to it's such a sympathetic performance the young lad playing here is just so wonderful at it yeah um, lovely. that that when he ends up having to get a bank job you know I remember when I left school I had to get a job in an insurance company and I was there for eight years mm. before I was able to run away to university and I spent like most of the 1980s photocopying things <laughs> So I I identified with that a bit, but just the bank is so awful, and you can see him kind of being imprisoned, and then so I just love the bit where he suddenly escapes from the bank, um, and manages to run away to the world of movies. Michael Powell, of course, worked for the provincial bank, didn't he? Before he ran away yeah. to the movies as well. Um, and he and he literally runs away from the bank. I love that scene. Yeah. He sort of gets gets the and Pedro Almod and Pedro Almodovar. He did the yes, and he ran away. Like yeah, almost two decades. And that bit there was one. So. Just I mean, I'm rambling around a bit, just picking out different things here. But the the when the clock's ticking for them to to get all the paperwork sorted to get on the boat. I mean, it's it's so cliched. We kind of know he is going to get on the boat because that's where the film is pointing. 
but I'm genuinely kind of on edge, kind of wondering how they're going to make it happen. Yeah. And then there's the bit where they start going around and people start chipping in money left, right and centre, which really reminds me of the bit towards the end of It's a Wonderful Life where all yes. every, everybody starts <laughs> yes. chucking money to kind of help Jimmy Stewart out. <laughs> Um, although there it's to kind of keep him there instead of to send him away. They don't want to get rid of this guy. <laughs> yeah. This kid's so annoying. Yeah. If we don't, if we keep him here, he'll put another one of his yeah. bloody awful shows on him and, and then, go watch it. And also, like say, like a thing that you could read, what you could say, all right, cheap narrative ploy, or you could say, there's some bravura storytelling. But just when they realise they're six, they're fifty-five dollars short or whatever it is, the old grandmother who who's been this hateful old harridan in the back of the room, then he goes. I've got sixty dollars. You go, and they also <laughs> magic money. There's a money tree. So I just, yeah. I just love the verve of that. It's so um, yeah. confident. Don't, I love that. That grandmother was brilliant. The yeah. way she just, pretty much all she ever said was, "You should have died instead of, instead of your brother." <laughs> <laughs> over and over again. And traumatized them for yeah. life. <laughs> and I guess maybe you could say that there's actually, when I said earlier on that it's almost a film that's too much. I was thinking that there's kind of you could it would stand repeated viewing because the pace of the thoughts coming at you is so rapid that there's, there's one little bit it's it's not necessary for the for the development of the storyline but in about 15 seconds we learn that there's an election to be president of the school drama society and somebody's going are you going to vote for him or are you going to vote for yeah here um and then suddenly all of the kids start Nazi saluting and then it goes mm. and, the, and, and then he's yeah. not allowed to put the play on that he wants. So there is a political importance because he learns about injustice because he's president. He's allowed to put on whatever he wants. But the, mm. the awful school teacher is insisting that they put on another Shakespeare play and not Hamlet. The, the awful school teacher who is British and has taught him all about the foundation of yes. Parliament yeah. <laughs> refuses yeah, to play democracy with him. That was the, <laughs> the interesting thing about all the, So, I mean, Joey Sunquist seems to be the only actual British actor in it, but there's a number of British characters who I, I think were dubbed. Yeah. So the, 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 woman in, the woman in the kind of shipping office, yes. you only really see it from the back, and she's dubbed. That teacher, I think, was dubbed. So it must have been a weird experience being for, for Jerry Sunquist, who was about 23 at the time, being the only British actor in that production mm -hmm. and pr probably one of the few English, you know, not having a language in common with most of the crew. Um, yes. But at least they didn't use the same um, approach, casting approach they did in Saladin of just having Tommy played by, played by a young Egyptian boy <laughs> in, a, in a red wig. <laughs> in a red wig. <laughs> um, what you were saying, Andrew, I think... I think Richard and I have been finding that almost all of his films bear repeated mm -hmm. viewings, actually. You know, that kind of, the, the more you see, the more interesting they all become. Uh, so, I mean, two things. I think the more films we see, the more interesting uh, he becomes as a filmmaker. And actually, I think this is a masterpiece, uh, this film. Uh, but also that, you know, his previous films, yeah, they stand up to repeated viewings as well. I mean, you begin to notice things like, you know, mm -hmm. camera moves and compositions and lighting and you know uh, uh, the uses of songs I mean I think he's an incredible filmmaker at least with you know a, a kind of marvelous technical skills yeah he can compose a shot like like Minnelli or mm -hmm. like Cirque yeah he is their equal I think uh, so 
Um, yeah, sorry, that was just a, an editorial <laughs> comment <laughs> following, up, following up from yours. Uh, so um, we've got five minutes, Richard. I mean, do you see any continuities in, in, in relation to the run of films that we've seen? I, I think, yeah, there, there's a... You, you you can see a line through this. It's it's the it's the family melodrama. It's the uh, you know the musicals. It's the the yeah the the, the the filming style, the clever editing. I mean all that editing between fiction and fact, and and the editing between the stage show and the um, and, and, and the reality of well the, the fictional reality of the war. That was that 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 was fascinating. Actually, that just as an aside, that rem the thing that reminded me of was Oh What a Lovely War, the um, yes, the Attenborough yes. film, ah, where yes. it's all you know that's all it's all on a, it's all an end of the pier show, but then it kind of opens mm -hmm. out. Um, so, which was I think about ten years earlier. So, because we now earlier we kind of assumed oh that's probably coincidence that this looks like that, but we know now that Shaheen was such a cinephile that he would have seen all this stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a fascinating filmmaker. But, but ultimately, the, I think the key thing about all of these films is they're not—they are not like what you think an Egyptian film is going to be like. You know, you tell someone, "I'm going to watch an Egyptian an Egyptian film about uh, a teenage boy in Alexandria during World War Two, and you've just <laughs> got this image that it's going to be this like cinema verite yeah. sort of um, depressing thing. And but no, it's this kind of almost indescribable overblown uh technicolor uh mishmash of uh, of all sorts of all, all sorts of stuff and i'm just going to see how netflix describes it but bear, bear with me talk amongst yourselves <laughs> we um and actually just while you're having a look well, there i um just stop, we've got a, a bunch of friends have got a little movie club going at the minute and we only started it um oh, last month um uh, we call it on the buses because we never watch any movies that are advertised on the side of buses. Um, <laughs> so I, I actually picked this just to introduce it. It's the first one. Mm. Um, and there was some kind of trepidation because like, we d didn't know what, what it was going to be like. And everybody loved it. I mean, there were a, yeah. a few people thought some of the execution of it was just a little bit sloppy. And I think they may be, they were judging some of the dubbing and things like that, which is mm. um, not always kind of on the money. Um, but it, yeah, they all loved it. And yeah. and, uh, and a whole great. bunch of Shaheen addicts now who are tracking the rest of the stuff. Great. No, that's really good. So so Netflix rates this as mature, I guess, because of the because of the sexual content. But they, they, they have a one word description of it. This film is one word. So what, you know, Jose, what's your one-word description of this film? See if you agree with Netflix. Musical. Musical. Okay, Andrew, any any ideas? Oh, oh, oh. that's what I would have gone for. Postmodern <laughs> post melange. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's heartfelt. So there you go. Oh, really? Oh, no. okay. At least the which is, which was, well, at least the, the last two films, so Return of the Prodigal Son, Netflix described as understated. <laughs> Really? <laughs> so wrong. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, let me, let me give you the last word, uh, you know, as our special guest. So uh, any last thoughts on the film or, uh, you know, kind of uh, a recommendation maybe for people who might want to see it? If, if there's, you know, if you think of any approach to it that might uh, open up the film. Um, I would say, I mean, it's a little on the long side, but I wouldn't be put off by that because it's sequenced so brilliantly and the pace is just unremitting so I, I i actually think it's a romp of a movie um and i think 
to, to be honest, I was amazed that all these films cropped up on Netflix, and I really, really hope that it does something yeah. to kind of establish Shaheen's reputation, because I, I, I think many of us who were at Bologna last year when they had the retrospective ha hadn't heard of him or had barely heard of him, um, and I, I think that's to my shame. I should have known about him years ago. Um, yeah. So um, I think this, Cairo Station, um, and, and maybe Blazing Sun, those three would be, for me, the ones that I would really go to. But, yeah. uh, but I actually do think as well, just as a, as, as a piece of queer gay filmmaking, I mean, our friend Adrian Garvey um, told us that Richard Dyer, the great and glorious Richard Dyer, um, giving a talk um, a while ago in London that Adrian was at, and he just picked out the 10 most important gay movies ever, and this was on his list. Um, so, so Richard, ha wow. Richard has been banging the drum for a long time about this, about this movie, and I just think, in terms of contextualising it within sort of LGBT cinema, there's a whole set of ideas to think about there. And Tommy's so cute. He's okay, so good. cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to end it here, exactly at seven uh, on the dot. Uh, so, thank you very much, thank uh, you, Andrew. Uh, uh, and thank you Richard thank you. Uh, and uh, we are the Youssef Shaheen podcast so please join us for episode number 12 uh, in uh, another week or so bye bye, bye. bye.